0: So the reading is from Daniel, chapter 5, from 1 till 31, I think. The writing on the wall. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet to a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar Uh, His father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knee knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King King Belshazzar came even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like, like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father your father, the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, or solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means.
1: So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judea? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar Sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belvazar, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, mene, tekel, pasin. This is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Pekas, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belvazar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belvazar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of sixty-two. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. This is Miriam, and uh, you all know you all know Miriam. Um, uh, from her leading and her singing and her general awesomeness <laughs> and uh, uh uh Miriam's only gonna be with us for the next few weeks because uh, she's going to be disappearing off down south down south
2: to, s- betraying you all. to Surrey
1: <laughs> she's moving to Surrey <laughs> yeah anyway, um and so uh, i thought it'd be uh, before she goes it'd be good to us to hear her speak and to and to open god's word for us so i'm gonna pray Okay. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's a light for our path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this morning through Miriam's words. Amen. Amen.
2: Thanks, Dad. And thank you, Martin and Eva. Hello, everyone. I think we can all agree that sometimes it feels like God has disappeared. We want him to show up. This is a story in which he shows up in his own way with his own agenda. It brings fear, but it also brings hope. We don't want God under our control, but we do want him to be present. So let's see how this story of Daniel and the Israelites in exile shows us how to live in that tension. But in order to, but in order to explore the passage properly, we need to put it into context. Up until this point in Daniel, we have seen Babylon under the rule of the Chaldean king Nebuchadnezzar. Last week Nick Nick and all of us looked through Daniel 3 where Nebuchadnezzar ordered three of God's servants to be cast into a blazing furnace for not bowing to pagan gods. We kind of skipped chapter 4 and today we're looking at chapter 5 but here is my translation of chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that he doesn't understand the meaning of And he summons all the enchanters, sorcerers, diviners, etc. But none of them could interpret it. So eventually he summons Daniel and he hears the interpretation from God. This is what God says to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Because this is a word from God, obviously this exact thing happens to Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord humbles him by lowering him from his throne and makes him be driven away from human society and eat grass like oxen. God casts him off his throne and humbles him until we eventually see him exalt and praise Yahweh, the Most High God. God draws Nebuchadnezzar into his rightful place before God rather than above him and once nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that god is the lord of heaven his kingdom is restored to him so today we are looking at chapter 5 and now nebuchadnezzar's son king belshazzar is on the throne back at the time when nebuchadnezzar destroyed jerusalem he had stolen gold and silver from the temple of god which in itself is an act against god because it's his treasure But Belshazzar takes it a step further and intentionally profanes them by drinking out of these vessels of gold and silver with his wives and concubines and praises the pagan gods of gold, silver, etc. for them. Belshazzar saw his father be humbled and restored, but still chose to exalt himself against the Lord of heaven. It's almost like he writes himself as the main character of the story by making himself the king of kings, and putting himself above, and therefore against God. But in doing this, he gets caught up in God's story, literally through writing on a wall. I love how dramatic the whole writing on the wall scene is. It reminds me of when villains come to their inevitable end in movies. The climax where all the heroes band together to give the villain one final blow, usually with a witty comment from the main character. The way the passage describes Belshazzar's reaction to it is literally what the face of a villain looks like before he's conquered. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The inscription on the wall is a line that I think I've genuinely heard said to a bad guy in a film before. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have been weighed on scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. But I think the reason it's dramatic is because this is the beginning of God bringing the Israelites out of their exile. After this, as written in the inscription on the wall, the Persians take over Babylon. And it's the Persians who eventually, in the next few years, don't just allow the Israelites to return to their homeland, but pay for the restoration of Jerusalem. Obviously, they didn't know this was going to happen. No one did except God. But here he is showing not just Belshazzar, but the Israelites that he is still in control and saying, I'm still here. I don't know how well you all know the Chronicles of Narnia, but in Prince Caspian, which is the fourth book in the series, but it's the second film, which is kind of confusing, <laughs> Narnia has been taken over by a race called the Telmarines and are under the rule of King Meraz. All of the Narnians are thought to be extinct, but are actually in hiding. In the story, we discover that most of the Narnians have lost hope of living in freedom again. Some don't even believe in the existence of Aslan anymore, because he hasn't been seen in in 1300 years. A lot of things happen in the story, but eventually, the Narnians start to fight the Telmarines for their well back, and in the battle, it looks as if the enemy has the upper hand, until Aslan arrives. And reveals himself to everyone and conquers the Telmarines with a mighty roar this moment is similar to what God is doing in this passage with his mighty hand he's revealing himself by writing on the wall he is bringing an end to the power of Belshazzar and the Babylonians after the Israelites have been waiting and longing wondering if God was even still with them There must have been times when the Israelites thought that God had abandoned them. After all, he allowed them to be cast out of Jerusalem to live as exiles. He allowed them to be homeless and under the control of unjust rulers. Why didn't he stop any of this from happening? Weren't they his chosen people? This moment where God literally comes down and writes on one of the king's walls brings an end to this doubting and instead brings them hope and a reassurance that he is, in fact, still with them. I think Daniel is another sign of God's presence to the Israelites within the exile. Similar to Lucy and Prince Caspian, Daniel never loses sight of God. He is faithful to him, even when it doesn't feel like God is being faithful to his people. In Prince Caspian, when everyone is out fighting, Lucy just sits and waits for Aslan because she knows that only he can bring true restoration. This is the same with Daniel. He waits on the Lord and trusts that he will bring restoration to his people. But what does all of this mean for us in 2023? I'd like to ask you a question. Who are you in this story? Are you like Belshazzar, needing to humble yourself before God? Are you like the Israelites, waiting and longing for God to shift the powers of this world? Or are you Daniel, patiently and faithfully serving and seeking God in the middle of an exile? So I ask again, who are you in this story? Are you Belshazzar? As Dad mentioned before I started speaking, I am moving at the start of November to be a part of a monastic community down in Surrey. The prospect of this has brought me mixed feelings of fear and excitement, but it has also brought me unexpected feelings of pride. The community I'm joining is part of quite a large Christian organisation, full of some big-shot names like Pete Gregg. So naturally, part of me is thinking, look at me! I'm so holy because I'm associated with these high-up people. Or, I bet I'm the only person my age that is this devoted to God and living in this way. Obviously, that's ridiculous. But I've genuinely had to battle these feelings of pride and I've had to allow God to take me off this pedestal that I've put myself on. But I can still fall easily back onto the pedestal even though I know I don't belong there. Even this morning, standing before you, and this week as I've been preparing this sermon, I've fallen again onto that pedestal. I've had to battle battle these feelings of pride and thinking that I'm better than everyone. In this way, I am like Belshazzar. Because I've been taking God's treasure and glory for myself and taking credit for something that is not mine, but his. His and needing to be humbled by God and brought to my knees in repentance. Are there places in your life where you feel you need to let God humble you? Are you willing to let him do that? So who are you in this story? Are you the Israelites? To be honest with you, the past few months for me, have been quite dry spiritually. I have found it so hard to connect with God. I have felt numb, anxious, and sometimes even depressed. I have very rarely wanted to open my Bible, and when I have, it didn't feel like it made any difference. Anytime I tried to pray, my mind would either be completely empty or so full of thoughts and feelings that I just didn't have anything to say. I didn't know how to pray or even to just sit with him anymore. And I saw how other Christians were living with what seemed like such joy and freedom and wondered, why don't I have that? Is there something I'm missing? All I wanted was to experience the presence of God again, but I was weary of trying to find him. I was longing for him to show himself to me. And in this way, I am like the Israelites. Have you ever found yourself longing for God to move in your life, but you don't even know if he is there? How did that feel? So who are you in this story? Are you Daniel? In my last year of school, I felt like God was nudging me to start praying more boldly in my school. So eventually, when me and a few others from the House of Prayer community agreed to all fast and pray on Fridays during Lent, I took it as an opportunity to keep a discipline of praying at school. Me and a Christian teacher would meet every Friday lunchtime and we prayed for each other and for the school. This was a way of acting against the usual flow of stress Pressure and anxiety that it is in every school. It felt like we were covering the whole school in prayer. In this way, I was trying to be countercultural in my school environment. And in this way, I'm kind of like Daniel. In what ways do you find yourself trying to be countercultural? Does it come naturally? See, the fact is, we are also in an exile. We are also praying for the powers of this world to fall. We see, we see and face death, pain and destruction all across the world every day. We are longing for the new heaven and the new earth. We are waiting for the return of Jesus. We are hoping for our writing on the wall moment. So who are we in this story? We are, in some ways, all three of them. We, as a collective global church, are part of the powers of this earth that need to be humbled and brought to our knees in repentance. There is no denying that the church, in our imperfect human way, have hurt a lot of people. And if, if you are one of those people, I am truly so sorry. This is how we, as the church, are like Belshazzar. We all crave power in some way, even if it's just to gain control over our own lives. We all hurt people, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We all fall short. And this is because we are not God. Yahweh is And he, by his spirit, reminds us of this and leads us back to kneeling before his throne and laying our crowns, platforms, and whatever we think our identity is before him. But as the church, we also know and love God. We have seen him do miraculous things in our own lives and in the lives of others. We know he is a powerful God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. So why does it sometimes feel like he doesn't? Why are there still 50 million people living in modern slavery? Why do we hear stories of more and more wars starting around the world every day? Why does my friend have to endure the struggles of mental illness? Why was my mum going to have surgery today and then it didn't happen? Why do we still suffer? Because we are in an exile. Our home is not on earth, our home is in heaven. And that longing in our hearts for an end to suffering, that longing in our hearts for complete wholeness, that longing in our hearts for God to just do something, That holy dissatisfaction that aches in our soul, that's a longing for home. And our home is found in Jesus. But what do we do in the meantime? Do we lose faith like the Israelites? No, we learn and follow the example of Daniel. We allow God to form us more and more into the likeness of Christ while we wait. We seek him. We keep praying and asking for a change and restoration to the world because he is praying with us. We allow God to use us to bring others to him. We trust him with hope and faith that he knows what he's doing. We give our lives as worship to him while we live in this tension between what is now and what is not yet. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are king. And I thank you that you are God and we are not. We thank you that you are in control and that we can trust you. And Lord, I pray that we will seek your face daily as we sit and yearn for you to come again. As we sit in the grace between what is now and not yet. Amen.